Hey everyone, Michelle Seidling here with another episode of Food Experience Unplugged. Today we'll explore preventing and or reversing chronic disease, especially type 2 diabetes. Here to help us do that is author, speaker, and grandma, Lynn Bowman. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be informed as new episodes become available. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. As always, be sure to check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some resources as you begin your health journey. Lynn Bowman, welcome to Food Experience Unplugged. I am so happy to be with you this morning, Michelle. This is great. I'm excited. Let's go. Let's talk. Uh, all right. Let's move here. Let's have brownies for breakfast. Well, that's not one thing. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't want to have brownies for breakfast every day? Oh, oh, wonderful. Well, we are so happy to have you as the author of the book, Brownies for Breakfast, but also a speaker and an author on, on preventing chronic disease, preferably preventing it, and and focusing on things like, like diabetes or other other chronic illnesses. But to get started, will you tell us, um, introduce yourself a little bit and tell us what brought you to this point in your life and your career and why the book Brownies for Breakfast? Um, uh, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. <laughs> okay, well, that, that was the whole idea that, um, you know, a, 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 a diagnosis of diabetes has always been thought of as kind of a grim thing that means, oh my gosh, you can't eat this and you can't eat that and you've got to throw it you know, no, it's not. It's just a different way of looking at food. And as far as I'm concerned, a better way of looking at food. So, so I, it was important to me to show people how delightful food can be, how delightful uh, a way of eating can be once you really focus on nourishing yourself the way you need to nourish yourself. So brownies for breakfast are a real thing. My brownies are made with nut butter and pumpkin and a sugar substitute, mm -hmm. and eggs or egg substitute. So if you're listening to these ingredients, you are, you know, well, those are really great foods. Those are things that are great for you. So it's a meal. So any anybody can feel fine giving grandma one of these or a baby one of these, and they're a great meal. It's great food, but it's also excellent food for a diabetic or for anybody who just wants to eat good, healthy food. There's nothing wrong with sweets as long as you make them well. But, so I put them in the front of the book, by the way. <laughs> My book starts <laughs> with sweets because like a lot of people, that's how I think about food. First, something sweet. <clears throat> There's no reason in the world why you can't start with dessert if you want to. As long as you're making your food out of good food, sourcing it well. And that's the other key. And the reason I wrote a cookbook, I, I have a couple of other books behind me, but you have to do a little bit of chopping. You have to cook a little bit. You have to prepare food. You cannot eat healthy and live healthy driving through. And you can't feed your family well driving through. I'm sorry. You just can't. You've got to prepare some food. It's easy. These recipes are all really super simple. Doesn't have to be complicated. But for those of us who have had careers and mine was one of those where, you know, there were no hours, you just showed up and you did whatever you had to do as long as you had to do it. And I was a single mother and I had three kids. So all my adult life, the emphasis has been on 
how can you get a meal on the table in 15 minutes or less that everybody's going to eat, everybody's going to like, and it's going to be good for everybody. So, you know, right there, the moms that are listening in, especially, or anyone who's caring for children, today, it seems to be more of a thing that junior eats one thing, grandma eats something, dad comes home and he has a special thing that he eats. And we we can't function that way. I don't think. I, I think that's just not sustainable in the true sense of the word. So I, this book specifically was targeted at those of us who are responsible not only for our own health, but maybe for other people's health. And let's let's do this together. Let's do this as a neighborhood, a family, a clan, a dorm, whoever it is. Include the people around you in what you're doing. Don't feel like you're by yourself. Uh, the better you eat and the more you offer. And here's a good one. There's a recipe in there for donuts, more than one recipe for donuts. And what I like to suggest to people is if you're trying to get someone to eat healthy and you offer them a donut with pink frosting and sprinkles, they're not going to turn it down. They're going to eat it, right? And if you don't, <laughs> if you don't tell them up front that it's a special donut made of really healthy stuff, they're going to eat that donut and go, oh, great, thanks. And they will have had a meal, a healthy meal. So yes, there's subterfuge, excuse me. Um, but that's the way you get through this. And I have a lot of ideas, tips for people who can't spend their life in the kitchen. They got to eat something, feed people and go and do stuff. So for example, and I have about 12 different kind of, I don't like to call them food rules because rules, come on, but food tips, food suggestions. And one of the things, first of all, I, I say to people, it, this is, the whole book is plant-based whole food eating, which everybody now has heard those words and we know that that's kind of a thing, but that is what you need to be doing. So the question is, well, how? How can I do that? How can I get, for example, dark greens in my mouth three times a day? How do you even do that? Because we're not used to eating, we're used to eating salad, but um, I, for one, am not a huge salad fan, but you can do things like hiding your dark greens in a smoothie. Works great. Kids love it. It's fine. Do it in a second. So I suggest that. You can hide dark greens, a lot of them, in a soup. And you can make one soup. Got a recipe in the book called Genius Soup that everybody really loves because you make it <laughs> once, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks, big bunch of it. You freeze some of it if you can. And then Every day you change it up a little bit. You put something a little different in the soup. You put beans in it or you put pasta in it. So you have a different meal. But what you've done is you put a whole bunch of vegetables and dark greens into a broth that's delicious. So there's your veggies. There's your dark greens. Hello. All done. You know, it's it's easy. It's yummy. It's great. Doesn't have to be punishment, you know. So you asked me, Michelle, and I've drifted here. Um, uh, how I got started on this. And with me, it uh, began with gestational diabetes, as it does with a lot of women. I am not a large person, but I gave birth. My first child was a 10 pound son. And the doctors, men in those days said, oh, you probably had gestational diabetes, which they hadn't thought apparently to test me for. This was 46 years ago. And so they suggested that I would very likely become a diabetic in my 40s. And so then life went on. I had a couple more kids and I worked like crazy. I was a single mother. That's another book, another story <laughs> next time. <laughs> and um, 
sure enough, when I finally talked a doctor into testing me, because most of them would say, oh, you're not obese. You know, you're not, you're too young. You're this, you're that. And they tested me and I was over the line. I had, I was into territory that they called diabetic. So I began studying what, I, because got really no help from the medical community. You know, the, the, the dietitians didn't have really anything much to offer in those days. Also, the whole thing was don't eat carbs or eat very, very few carbs. And so what you wind up doing is eating a lot of protein and a fair amount of vegetables, non-carby vegetables. And that's what you live on, which I did. My life kind of changed in 2019 when I went to a conference uh, of a thousand medical doctors from all over the world. It was called the Plantricians Conference. And why did I do that? I honestly can't tell you. I just I <laughs> saw it advertised and I went, you know, I mean, it came through on my feed and I thought, I need to know what those people are thinking. I need to go there. So I went to uh, Oakland to this conference and listened all day for five days, eight in the morning, eight o'clock at night. It was PowerPoint after PowerPoint, all this data about how animal foods are affecting our health. And the physicians who were there uh, many of them surgeons told story after story of doing surgery on a nine-year-old kid, an 11-year-old kid, and their veins were, their arteries were blocked already with uh, plaque wow. from animal fat. And so these docs are sort of renegade in that, as you know, everyone knows by now that the medical community as it is now is, is works around um, chemicals. Um, you you get a prescription at a pharmacy for a medication, and that's how you deal with your. It's not preventive at all, and the idea of healing with food or preventing with food makes doctors a bit they're, they're mavericks, and it makes them also not. It, they don't have access to the income if they no longer are doing the kind of medicine that um, is is reimbursed with insurance or government reimbursals. So it's this crazy kind of political thing around our health that a lot of us have not, I think, thought a great deal about. So these doctors convinced me after five days or however, I think it was five days, um, they, they had all the data. And what they explained was that diabetes is not about carbs. Uh, yes, you should control your carbs in that you should eat quality carbohydrates. But what diabetes is from a physiological standpoint is the, um, the animal fat is blocking the absorption of glucose uh, in a mechanical way. It's actually in front of the cells that need to take up your glucose. And I am not um, a pediatrician and I can't explain it down to a cellular level. You can do your research if you're interested and I encourage anyone to, to be interested in this. But I walked away going, wow, that changes everything. And I'd already got the book about half done. And uh, I got in the car, my husband picked me up and I said, guess what? And of course, husbands never want to hear that. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, I'm vegan now. And there was a bit of a silence and he said, okay, I'm in. And I did a six month experiment at home. Uh, I had just had my blood work done mm -hmm. and he was a great guy about the whole thing. And so for six months, I did not have one bite of animal food. 
nothing. I went totally vegan. And at the end of that six months, I was tested, you know, as you are periodically. I had, I had my hemoglobin A1C test, which I advise everyone over 40 to get, whether you think you need it or not. And which tells you how much blood glucose you have rolling around in your body over a period of weeks. So it's an average. It's not a one-day test. And so I went into my physician who I had been going to for a number of years. And the results were that, in fact, my numbers had dropped by three points, which she said, and I quote, Lynn, that just doesn't happen in people your age. And I went, yes, I did. <laughs> just did it. So that was a game changer for me. And at this point, I'm not a strict vegan. I eat salmon and, uh, and I eat some shrimp, uh, a little bit of fish. I eat egg whites uh, from college educated, happy eggs only, really good chickens. Um, and so, but the experiment to me and, and the continued research I do in reading is very clear that the answer not only for diabetics, but for heart disease, for inflammation, for kidney disease, for all kinds of chronic disease, the answer is no dairy, no meat. And uh, people are horrified a lot of times when we talk about that. But, and even the meat thing always a little bit, if you are eating beef or pork or lamb that was raised by your neighbor, Judy, and you know how that she puts her cattle out on grass and they're pasture raised and they're happy. And then they're, I mean, if you know all that about the meat that you're eating, okay, have a little, because that's a very different beast. Literally, it's a different food than the food you are eating if you buy your beef at Costco. And even if it says pasture raised or whatever, it's factory farmed. Uh, and so uh, the, I think one of the best things you can do about your health, no matter where you are, who you are, is if you are eating animal products, please source them carefully. Don't eat off the shelf, factory raised meat and dairy. It is, it's literally poisoning us as a society. It's poisoning us. I mean, the, the, the numbers on chronic disease, and you know this, Michelle, are just are shocking. It's like 80% of us have a serious chronic disease. And in your audience particularly, I, I, I want to say it's, it's, it's tacky maybe to kind of line up money and health right next to each other. But chronic disease ruins families. It takes, in my case, my mother died when I, when I was 18. She was in her 40s. So I lost her to a chronic disease. And my father lost his money to a chronic disease, trying to pay the bills. So I have an up-close and personal point of view, and it has not changed. It's worse, if anything, because if, if you have hundreds of thousands of dollars of bills in, for a chronic disease, which you will if you become ill with heart disease or uh, a serious case of uh, diabetes, um, what, what do you have? Uh, it's, it's so devastating to not only lose your health, but to lose your wealth along with it. So you can, how do you recover from that? So difficult for so many of us out there. I'm going to take a breath if you want to say something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That, that is amazing. So, so based on those experiences, those early experiences with your mom passing and and just those things, did that kind of put you on that trajectory toward wanting to 
find solutions to help? Oh, absolutely. Uh, when I found myself the mother of three small children, I had kind of a Scarlett O'Hara moment where I was single uh, and I said, I am not going to leave them. I am not going to not be there for these kids. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to stay healthy, stay on my feet, and to keep earning the money that I need to feed them and house them. So that that was my deal. And um, the way to do that is to really pay attention to your health, to eat carefully. To And I talk in my book about sleep. So many of us just kind of forget that if, you, if you're not sleeping, you're not performing well. You can't. And you can't sleep well if you don't eat well. There's a direct connection between what you eat and when you eat it and how you sleep. And here's a little tidbit. You may know this, but I, I like to tell everybody, who, just in case they don't know this, the only time your body can actually heal you in any way is when you are in deepest sleep. So we'll let that sink in because all of us, I mean, we've got something, we've got inflammation, we've got something, we've got a you know, busted wrist or something, all kinds of things going on all the time. The only time your body can really work on that and heal it is when you are in deep sleep. And the only way that you can really sleep deeply is to eat good food, whole food, plant-based food, and then time the way you eat so that you're not interfering with your body's ability to sleep deeply. So you're going, okay, wait a minute, time? What? <laughs> okay, here's another bomb for you, all of you. Um, if, you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't read this or heard this already, and this came, I, I first learned this years ago from a friend, Manish, who is an Ayurvedic doctor, but it's since been, there's so much peer-reviewed uh, research now out there about this. It's very well known that you have to stop eating around four or five in the afternoon, earlier if you can, no later, every day, stop, that's it. Nothing after four or five. And I can just hear everyone across the airwaves screaming because kids, work, everything. But you can do it and you can also almost do it. You can do it pretty well just by gearing your eating day so that everybody eats their heavy foods, their most of their foods earlier in the day. So whatever you're eating at six or seven, if you have to eat something at six or seven, it's small, it's light, it's low in fat, it's something easily digestible, and we can argue about what that's going to be. But it's very important to really think deeply about when you're eating. And skipping meals is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to just go without some food for a while. I mean, and diabetics were always taught that was a bad thing, bad thing. No, it's not. If you skip a meal first part of the day, particularly, or the last part of the day, no problem. Your body is doing the bulk of its digestive work in the middle of the day. The, your circadian rhythm indicates to your body that it needs to work when the sun is high, when the day is, is at its peak. So your digestion is at its peak with the day. And then as the day wanes, your body's going, okay, all right, I'm done with that. And it has other work to do. It works on your brain. It does other things. But in the middle of the day, it wants food. So eat in the middle of the day. And you're thinking, 
how am I going to do that? <laughs> it's a challenge, <laughs> but you're going to carry soup with you. And uh, one of the things you always have to have food with you. I never go anywhere without food because I know other people don't eat like I do. And I know other people can't eat on my schedule. And I know other people don't know or care that I'm diabetic or that I'm 75 and I plan to be a hundred and so on. So I have to be responsible for carrying what I need to survive. And that's usually nuts. I've always got a little supply of nuts. One of my new favorites is there are a lot of vegan jerkies out now. Uh, sounds mm-hmm. kind of icky. They're tasty. They're really good. And they have a they have a lot of flavor. They taste like it better than actually the 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 texture is better than a beef jerky. And um they're they've got healthy ingredients. One brand, if you're thinking, ah, I need that, it's Moku, M-O-K-U. And um I'm finding those great. They come in a package, they're sealed up. I throw one or two in a bag. I'm okay, you know, for a flight, for a drive, for pre-meeting, if I'm not at home. Those work great. Um, always carry water with you uh, if you don't. I think most of us do at this point. And um, everybody goes in to get coffee, right? We all go into Starbucks. I see you out there. I know you're doing that. Uh, go into Pete's. And, you know, if you can just change this one habit, let's call it, this one kind of routine, I really I want to emphasize that the coffee that you're buying nobody in pete's is ever buying black coffee but me i'm the only one that goes in and out of there with black coffee everybody else goes in and out with frappuccino with stuff on top and with stuff inside and it's if it isn't milk it's oat milk with you're gonna get sugar and you're gonna get dairy or something please see if you can't rehabituate yourself to black coffee. Black coffee is really good. If you're buying your coffee in a good coffee place, they will make you a good black coffee. But I, that's, you know, and it's easy for me. I know that it's a habit. I've been doing it for a long time. But if you can just do that one thing, if, if you're still walking out of Pete's with a thing with something on top of it and, you know, some creamy stuff in it, try drinking just black coffee or tea uh, or green tea or something, but don't do the frappuccinos anymore if you can help it. Mm -hmm. So now with, you've got a lot of different tips and things. Now, did that, when you read first, you know, you decided to become vegan and um, the, you know, your, your A1C is lowered and so forth. So after that, did you really delve into the research and really make these changes incrementally? Did you go cold turkey on a lot of different things? How was that that whole process for you? I'm not the incremental type, <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> I'm the dive into the deep end kind of girl, you know. But I also feel like I, yeah, I'm I'm old. I'm 75, so I I want to do it now, whatever it is. I if it's going to work, if it's going to work well, I want to know and I want to do it now. And, uh, and of course I do have the background of having been diabetic for many years. And so I read, I watched, I paid attention and so on, but this fairly new information of the whole food, the importance of whole food, plant-based eating, I'm all in. And the, the more I read, the more I see, and I'm doing it every day. Uh, and I also, 
happily for me, I live in a place, I live on the coast of California, little town where I'm surrounded by ranches full of very conscious people. It's kind of an epicenter for regenerative agriculture. So the people that I'm seeing all around me in my little area are people typically, not everyone, there are exceptions, but they're people who deeply care about the land and about their animals and about their neighbors. And I'm close to the University of California, Santa Cruz, which is a place where a lot of really great research is being done on growing food and regenerative agriculture. So it's part of my life and I see it every day. If you're, if you're working, I mean, I literally, I drive by the cows you know, and the pigs and, and the, the turkeys walk across the street and um, they have right of way, which is great. Um, if you're living in an area, if you're working in a, a concrete building, you know, if you're driving a lot, uh, that puts you in a different place about food and food consciousness. But um, any, if, if you're interested, I mean, the, the research, and, and I would encourage anyone to look up the plantricians, this group of physicians uh, who, who put out constantly, they put out solid peer-reviewed research that you can look at. Uh, my daughter is a medical, so she's constantly pushing me and encouraging me to to be sure I am sourcing only really solid research. So I'm a believer in that. But the proof is in the pudding too. Um, I'm I'm happy to be sort of a poster girl for for what 75 is like when you are going to Pilates three days a week, you know, and doing TRX and and walking miles and miles and uh, life is, and I just saw some research too, Michelle, that said that, that there is proof actually that we are our most productive between 60 and 80. What? Mm-hmm. You know, we've wow. always thought of seniors as being people who are kind of having to be pushed around in wheelchairs and helped up the stairs and so on. And in fact, you know, your, your life is so much more orderly when your children are grown and, and you, you have arrived at a place in your life where you, you know, stuff, you know, you're, you're a grandma. Um, and so I want to encourage any of your listeners who are out there who are in their thirties or forties. And I've been there. I mean, you are run- And it's worse now, by the way, because COVID hello. So family, but moms have wound up doing all this additional stuff with their kids and all this additional stuff for the office. Only now they're doing it at home, but they're probably doing twice as much. I mean, I used to go screeching into my office at nine o'clock in the morning after having gotten up at five, done a full set of lashes in my hair and, you know, gotten dressed and gotten three kids to school and all that sort of thing. And I'd slide into my desk at nine o'clock. Work was easy. Uh, You know, my, my work life, was relaxing and orderly and simple <laughs> compared to what it's like at home when you're running a household and you've got kids maybe. And so many of us now have elders also who we're looking after because the demographic is there are tons of us who are older now. So um, moms in the middle, you know, moms who are 30, 40, 50, in their 60s. I have friends, many friends in their 70s who are looking after 95-year-old parents. So you got to stay on your feet to do this. You know, you got to be in shape. You have to be healthy. You have to be. Sure. Now you, um, 
are have you reversed your diabetes or do you still consider yourself a diabetic how what is your I, I still now. consider myself a diabetic. That helps me behave. And um, I think it's a reality. I And you, you, more and more, they're finding that there's less of a hereditary link than they thought, that there is so much more environmental um, effect than they realized about diabetes. But as I've already been talking about, the truth of the matter is, if I weren't diabetic, I don't think I'd be doing anything different. because what I now know is the things that I'm doing for my diabetes, eating greens, eating tons of vegetables, not eating meat, eating salmon. Yes, salmon's good. Um, I do take a couple of supplements, uh, uh, CoQ10 and um, vitamin D3. And all those things are the things we all need to be doing. Those, those are not unique in any way to diabetes. Now, what I've done for myself, if in fact I have reversed my diabetes, which I, I will continue to do, I hope, I'm, I'm at my age, I'm not sure how much more of an effect I can get, but so far so good, I'll keep working it. What I'll get is that my organs will continue to function. So I'm not damaging my kidney. I'm not damaging my liver. Um, it, most people understand by now, because you've had some look at it in some way, that the what happens if you have untreated diabetes is that eventually you, you begin to feel uh, numbness and tingling in your fingers. It means that you've lost function. You're, you no longer have uh, circulation in your fingers, happens in your extremities, your feet, your toes, and your body is unable to uh, send circulation out to those extremities. So you will lose your extremities. You actually, uh, and, and you will lose your eyesight. And the list goes on. It's not a pretty picture. By the time you're having those kinds of symptoms and you're on dialysis, it, it, you know, it, yes, probably it will make you feel better if you change what you're eating and the way you're thinking, but that's too late. So my hope mm -hmm. is that all of you hearing this in your 30s, in your 40s, especially 50s, 60s, get tested, know what your numbers are, and Reverse it now because you can definitely reverse it earlier in your life. Most people can. At least that's what the research is saying now. Uh, and you can, mm -hmm. and if you're not going to reverse it, at least you can control it so that it doesn't get any worse, which that's great. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. And I, I tell the story in the book, in the front of the book, and I hope if you get the book that you'll read some of it because there are stories. One of them is my daughter, the medical called me and said, Ma, you have to write that book. Why? It's hard writing a book. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. <laughs> she said, I had a patient today who was a vet and he was having his leg removed. And I told him that you were writing a book for people who had diabetes so that they wouldn't have to have the symptoms that you had. And she said, he cried and said, please tell her to write that book. Uh, because mm. And particularly men, they're not good about being seen, right? They're not good about going for their regular checkups. And they think they're all powerful, bless their hearts, and we love them for it, but they're not. Uh, and so I I've heard the stories, I've seen a lot of it, men who wind up on dialysis because they didn't get tested, they didn't realize uh, it's. Um, 
it's a slow, silent, really devastating disease if you don't control it. But you can control it. So we, we can do this. Same with heart disease. We can do this. We don't have to wait until we have a heart attack or we have symptoms or we have angina. Just do it now. And those of you with families, please teach your children. You know, be an example. Show folks how you do it. Um, if you're slugging down a Coca-Cola and telling your child they should not be eating that candy, it doesn't work. You know, you, you have to demo the thing. You have to be an example of what you expect in the people around you, which is what I've, and I hope in a not too annoying way, I've tried to do <laughs> with my family because I don't want anyone having to stand by my bedside. You know, I, I want to be the one helping if someone needs help. Sure. Absolutely. And now on that, that family note, your, your husband had, you know, become deacon with you along mm -hmm. the way. Now, mm -hmm. is he still focused on his health in, you know, the, the ways that he's able to and, and other family members perhaps? Well, let me tell you what happened after our first six months was he lost some weight, which of course you will do if you eat whole food plant, whether you're really intending to lose weight or not, you Typically, you will lose some weight. He lost some weight. His belly got a little bit flatter. He felt great. So what do you think? He, I mean, we're all vain, <laughs> right? And he was kind of terrible. He was really pleased with himself. And he has continued with it. And he is even more pleased with himself now. Because as we are all likely to do, he looks around at the men his age and goes, whoa, you know? I, I don't want to be like them. I want to be, I want to stand up. And he, we have a small farm and he loves working out in the dirt and in the trees. And, um, he, he's fine with it. He's not going back. Uh, and he is supported by me in this. So it's easier for him. If you're in an office environment or someplace where the people around you are going, Oh, look at Joe. He's eating his vegan food again. You know, his, his vegan stuff, you know, rah, rah. That's tough for guys. That's that's harder for them, I think, than it is for women. You know, guys tend to be more about the barbecue and the steak and things. And uh, if you haven't seen The Game Changers, it's a Netflix documentary. Uh, have you seen it yet, Michelle? Um, I have not yet. Okay. Everybody, especially if you have a man in your life or a son, watch with them or watch The Game Changers. It's fun and interesting and what it is is athletes decided to compare their performance um, vegan athletes and non-vegan athletes compared and a part of this show so they did a, a research project on college men uh, comparing their erections whether they were and and they did it very scientifically and i will let you watch the show to but this is how you i think influence young men who are thinking you got to have a steak you you know what no guess what um whatever kind of performance you're looking for it tends to be better if you're a vegetable eating person vegetables are really good for you good for your circulation and um so that's a way that I highly recommend videos, you know, a, a well-done video. There's also one now that I'm loving called Kiss the Ground, highly recommend, which is, was a lot of it was made in my neighborhood. I have a friend or two in it, cows that I've met. 
Uh, it's well done and very informative and inspiring. So if you're looking for a way to inspire yourself or your family, first one is Game Changers. Second one is Kiss the Ground. And I think they're both on Netflix, probably elsewhere. Highly recommend okay. them. Okay. Wow. And my book, well, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you need that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, how can people get in contact with you and how can they get this lovely book? Thank you. Um, the book, again, is called Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them. Long title. But my name is L-Y-N-N-E-B-O-W-M-A-N. So website is lynnbowman.com. And uh, that will have all of the links for anything. I, I have a YouTube channel, Lynn Bowman YouTube channel. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, all that stuff. And would love to hear from folks. I really enjoy it. And the book is available uh, on Amazon. It's also available from your bookseller, your independent bookseller. If you just tell them to order it for you, they can order it the way they order all their other books. And that helps me as well, because that helps spread the word. And um so Amazon, you just look it up. It's available hardback, paperback, and you can download it very inexpensively and take a look at it and see if it isn't something you're interested in. It's a, I guarantee you, it's a fun book to look at. It's very visual and, uh, and it's full of stories and it's very no BS. Uh, it's a thing that your kids can cook with, your husbands can cook with. It's very straightforward and simple and gives you A to Z, the information that you need to change your kitchen, however you want to change it. Um, and, and I love it when people get in touch with me when they've tried recipes or read the book. And, and I, I really like hearing from people. So lynnbowman.com, L-Y-N-N-E-B-O-W-M-A-N.com, brownies for breakfast. Wonderful. Well, Lynn, it has been amazing and really an eye-opener into your journey and as well as just making those changes that can reverse, prevent, and just really focus on your overall health. So thank you so much, Lynn, for being here today. Oh, thank you. It was it was great fun for me. I know I did all the talking, but <laughs> thank you for inviting <laughs> me. You're, you're great. Thanks.